today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Willing to submit. The wisdom from above, it requires we be teachable. Teachable. And full of mercy and good fruits. And there's no partiality. There's no hypocrisy. This is the fruit of righteousness that is sown in peace. And this will permeate throughout the entire decision-making process or trial that you're in. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Are you in a tight spot and don't know what to do? Well, the very first thing you should do is pray for wisdom. All we need to do is ask. The problem is that we often wait until we've tried everything else. In today's message, Pastor J.D. shares how God delivers us into trials in order to deliver us out of them with some godly wisdom on the other side. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with his message, What Trials Produce. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's what I call the three-in-one principle. Be anxious for nothing, thank God for everything, and pray about anything. And we do just the opposite. We worry about everything. We don't pray about anything, and we don't thank God for everything, right? How do I not worry about anything? Because if you're anything like me, you are really good at worrying. If you run out of things to worry about, you'll find something from somebody else's life to worry about for them and instead of them, right? This is professional worriers. I'm talking about worriers that have degrees in worry, okay? And so how do I worry about nothing? I'm a worrier. I'm prone to worry. Well, here's the answer. The way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything and thank God for anything. Just the other day, I walked out of the office, which is a rare event in my life (laughs) these days. So much is going on in the world, and I was sharing with Jack that I'm working swing shifts now, just to keep up with all the prophetic (laughs) news that's going on. But So I walked out of the office, and I walked outside. This is amazing. This is a moment for me. And I listened to the birds, the doves, cooing. Now you might think, wow, pastor, you're losing it. We really need to pray for you. Well, listen, (laughs) I haven't heard them in a while. I haven't heard them in a while. Oh, they've been there. I just haven't heard them. And when I finally heard them, it was so calming and such a blessing. I found myself thanking God for those doves and those pigeons. Yes, even pigeons. I don't thank God for minor birds, but pigeons and doves, I do, you know. I just, I don't know what it is about the minor birds. They're really loud and obnoxious, and they make lots of noises and leave lots of messes on my car. But I was thanking God, and it was really interesting. All the stresses and worries and concerns that I had just left the office from dissipated away. I wasn't all of a sudden worried about those things. I was just thanking God for the birds.
birds, the sound of the birds and the shining of the sun. I'm thanking God for my legs. I still have legs. They're old, but I still have legs. I have arms. I have hands. Thank you, God. Thank God for anything. Pray about everything. And when you do that, you'll worry about nothing. And here's what happens. Here's the one for the three. That peace that surpasses human understanding keeps your hearts and minds anchored in Christ Jesus and immovable so that nothing moves you. Well, in verse 12 we find our seventh one, which, very important, is wisdom from the Lord. Here Paul boasts, and I love it when Paul has this sanctified boasting about how his conscience testifies of his integrity and godly sincerity. Now why would Paul deem it necessary to write this? Because the Corinthian church questioned him, had falsely accused him, and brought into question his integrity and his sincerity. And what he says is that this caused him to rely on God's grace instead of worldly wisdom. This is huge. To me, this is yet another powerful principle when it comes to trials. Trials force me to relinquish the wisdom that the world has to offer and instead embrace the wisdom from above. One of the things I'm learning in my own personal relationship with the Lord is that the world's wisdom will always, without exception, let you down. The wisdom that the world has to offer will always, without exception, let you down. It's interesting to note how Paul delineates between the wisdom of the world and God's grace and God's wisdom from above. I point this out because it speaks to two kinds of wisdom. On the one hand you have worldly wisdom, on the other you have godly wisdom, godly counsel. You have worldly counsel, ungodly counsel. On the one side, on the other side, you have godly counsel, and you have godly wisdom. This is why it is that when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial, it's vital we possess spiritual discernment so as to identify which one it is that I'm relying upon. Sometimes it's not that easy to make that distinction. The best passage in God's Word to have a template, I guess for lack of a better word, when it comes to the wisdom from above is James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. This is a grid. You can take that situation that you're in, that trial, that difficulty, that tribulation, and you can sort of run it through the grid of this template here in James. Let me read in verse 13 beginning. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. This is what Paul was talking about, his good and godly conduct. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But, listen, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, 
and get this, even demonic, satanic. For where envy, verse 16, and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But, and here's the contrast, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you have a decision to make. You want to know what God's will is for your life. Lord, what do I do? Do I do this or do I do that? Do I go left? Do I go right? Lord, I need wisdom. I need discernment. Lord, what do I do? Well, you need to ask yourself some questions. Is this self-promoting? Am I being self-seeking? Is this decision or situation I'm in riddled with confusion? Is there a sense of the sensual in this? Or how about this one? And this is a hard one. Does it involve envy on my part? Envy is so insidious. And really in some ways different than covetousness. Covetousness and envy. Let me just say it this way. Envy and covetousness both will destroy you from the inside out. It will destroy your life. It will lead to this bitterness that defiles. That's why it is so important to be ever so careful when it comes to that root of bitterness. You cannot allow that root of bitterness in your life. Left unchecked, it will grow and defile you and destroy you. That's how dangerous and even demonic it is. I think it's interesting when he says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion will ensue. That's how you know (laughs) that it's demonic. Who's the author of confusion? The enemy. Listen, something Oswald Chambers wrote, and it's for me been so helpful over the years. He says, when in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. Please don't misunderstand that to mean that if you're stepping out in faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things yet unseen, that's different. And we're about to see how damaging doubt can be. But when in doubt, don't. That's the Lord giving you a pause and a check. And he might be saying to you, wait, wait, wait on me. Not yet. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is slow. Sometimes the answer is grow. Wait on the Lord until he gives you the green light to go. When in doubt, don't. And then he contrasts this earthly, sensual, even demonic wisdom with wisdom from above. And look at the difference. The wisdom from above is first pure. There's a purity. My motives are pure. I have pure motives. Peaceable. I just have that peace. This is good between me and the Holy Spirit. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And then it's gentle. It's gentle. And this is important. Willing to yield. Willing to submit. The wisdom from above, it requires we be teachable. Teachable and full of mercy and good fruits. And there's no partiality. 
There's no hypocrisy. This is the fruit of righteousness that is sown in peace. And this will permeate throughout the entire decision-making process or trial that you're in. In James chapter 1, let me just read quickly verses 2 through 8. You know it well. I have a love-hate relationship with the first part of this, as you probably do as well. (laughs) My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But, and this is key, let patience have its perfect work. The implication being is that sometimes we don't let patience have its perfect work. We fight it. Have you ever been in a trial and you're just fighting it all the way and you're making it unnecessarily difficult on yourself? I think of the angels given charge concerning me, thinking, man, this guy just doesn't get it. Why doesn't he just let this do its work? God has a work He's doing in this trial of various kinds. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here lacks wisdom? (laughs) Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But, and here's the thing, Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. There it is. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And here's why. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The other day my son Levi and I were in James, and he asked me, Baba, what does double-minded mean? And the best explanation I can give, and it's the picture he gives here, you're doubting, and you're back and forth, wishy-washy, like that boat at sea, tossed back and forth. You keep going back and forth. Wait a minute, you just ask God for wisdom. And so God gives you that wisdom, and he gives it to you liberally, and doesn't withhold any, and then you're still... Lord, is that you? And you're still doubting, and you're still back and forth. The Lord says, fine. Don't suppose you're going to get anything from me because you're too double-minded. You're too back and forth. You're too wishy-washy. There's a proverb that haunts me, that has always haunted me, and it basically goes something like this. The Lord will not entrust you with something he knows you will not commit to and do. Otherwise, he'll be party to your disobedience. God will never call you or give to you anything he knows you will not be faithful doing. Otherwise, he set you up to sin against him and disobey him. That has always haunted me. And I see the same principle at play here when it comes to the wisdom from above. God may withhold wisdom. Don't suppose you'll get anything by the way of wisdom from the Lord if you're going to go back and forth wishy-washy, and not do that which God has given you by way of wisdom. He will not be party to your disobedience. Well, this brings us to the last one. It's in verses 13 and 14, which is a boasting in the Lord. I want to take just a little bit of time here in closing to kind of explain this one. In verse 13, Paul says that they do not write anything to them that 
they cannot read or understand. And in verse 14 he says he hopes they'll fully understand that they can boast of him as he in turn boasts of them in the day of the Lord Jesus. So what's Paul saying here? What Paul is saying here is that we as Christians can have a sanctified boasting. A sanctified boasting both in the Lord and perhaps more importantly in the day of the Lord, that great and final day. And here again, let me explain it. Uh, this is that boasting in the Lord and how that the Lord had worked out what seemed impossible for my good and His glory. I'm not taking the credit. He gets all of the credit, and He gets all of the glory. No flesh glories in His presence. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the main reasons that God allows fiery trials in our lives, it's this. This would have to be right at the top of the list. To me, it's God wanting us at the end to give Him the glory and only Him the glory for what He did. And not just what He did, but how He did what He did. In the amazing way that He brings good from bad. How quick are we to quote and recite Romans 8.28? We know that verse probably more famously than any other verse in the Bible. For we know that God works all things together for the good, to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do you know why that is? So that God gets the credit. So we can boast and testify, if you prefer, the goodness of God. That God is always only good. And boy, if there was ever a day in which this needs to be the testimony, it is now. I rarely engage in Twitter and I was really quite taken back by the tweets coming back my way from non-Christians. They were very vile, very foul. But the common denominator in the question was basically questioning the goodness of God. And it was really like the serpent in the garden. Half God said, if God is a God of love, how would you answer this question? Think about this. If God is a God of love, why does he allow this to happen? God could have prevented it. Somebody entered into the whole tweet war, I guess I could call it a tweet war, <laughs> and said, boy, if there was ever a time for Jesus to take the wheel, referring to that Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Wheel. i got to be candid with you. I had to step back and say, okay, Lord, I need a word fitly spoken here, because they're questioning you, your goodness. And don't question my God's goodness. Don't question my God's goodness. And I want to give an answer. My words need to be seasoned with grace. <laughs> so often my words are not seasoned with grace. I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about, so don't look at me all spiritual like you don't. My words oftentimes are not seasoned with grace. So I just responded very briefly, and you have to on Twitter, you only get 140 characters, which for me is a trial in and of itself, but anyway. So I just simply responded with, the Lord could have prevented this from happening, 
but chose in his sovereignty not to for reasons we will never know until we're in heaven. I thought it was a pretty good answer because they didn't reply back. So I'm hoping that, (laughs) first I hope they got it, which I think they did. But I want to close with what I believe is one of the greatest examples of God doing this with a man by the name of Joseph. If there was ever a man (laughs) who went through unspeakable difficulty and trials in his life for, by the way, about 17 years. Listen, I'm complaining slash lamenting, because pastors don't complain, we lament. It's more spiritual. If it's 17 days, if I'm in a trial for 17 days, Joseph for 17 years when he finally reveals his identity to his brothers, he says perhaps the most powerful thing ever recorded in the pages of Holy Writ. In Genesis 50-20 he says, but as for you, and keep in mind they are terrified, he is the most powerful man in the world save Pharaoh. He could have their heads chopped off with a snap of his fingers and they know it. And they're terrified of him and he says to them, but as for you, You meant evil against me, but God. My two favorite words in all of the Bible. But God. Whenever you read but God, that changes everything. That changes everything. But God meant it, what? The evil you intended me for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. This was in the midst of of the seven-year famine, and it brought salvation, just like it will in the seven-year tribulation. Keep in mind, and we just did the filming, Billy came, and they did uh, the interview for this documentary that they're doing on the pre-tribulation rapture, which is under intense attack today. And it's really interesting. I mentioned to him the typology about how it is that Joseph took a Gentile bride prior to the seven-year famine. Just like Enoch, a type of the church, was raptured. The first man, by the way, to be raptured was Enoch, pre-flood. Just like Daniel was exalted to a high position, pre-furnace. So I have this kind of silly little quip, you know, and it goes like this. Enoch was pre-flood. Joseph was pre-famine, and Daniel was pre-furnace. And they all start with F. It's really clever, isn't it? I took a lot of time to come up with that. And that's the typology as a type of the church. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from the book of 2 Corinthians has blessed you and that you continue to seek God's hand in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. You'll also find a link to subscribe to our podcast or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. Did you know you can also take In Spirit and Truth with you wherever you go? It's true. Using your Apple or Android smartphone, download our mobile app and have biblically sound messages available right at your fingertips. Links to the app are right on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find and join a local church community if you haven't already. Having a group of believers to support you and learn from God with you is a great encouragement. You too will have the chance to bless others with your own unique gifts and talents. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we would joyfully welcome you into our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Our weekly services focus on studying God's Word and worshiping our Creator. Service times and directions can be found by going to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. That's all we have for you today here on In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again as Pastor J.D. digs deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians. With your will, holy 